Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Hello, my name is Paul Friedman. I'm chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Mayo Clinic, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleagues, Dr. Arman Argami from the Department of Cardiovascular Surgery and Dr. Mark Halu from the Division of Heart Rhythm Services within cardiovascular medicine, here to talk about a really fascinating new way to treat a complex problem of recurrent atrial fibrillation. Amar Arman, thank you for joining me, welcome. Thank you for the invitation. So let's, let's start with the basics. We're gonna talk about a hybrid procedure, convergent procedure. What is it, what does it entail? So that, that's a, a great question. So when we talk about hybrid procedures, we're referring to the combination of two or more techniques. And so for the hybrid procedure for atrial fibrillation, um, it's a combination of surgical techniques and conventional catheter ablation techniques. And the idea is that you can combine the efficacy of surgical techniques, but to minimize the invasiveness, the risk of complications, and the expedite the recovery time that you have with conventional catheter ablation techniques. So for the purposes of the hybrid procedure for atrial fibrillation that we're referring to, uh, it is called the convergent procedure. And so the convergent procedure is a minimally invasive surgical procedure that is performed, uh, that, that entails ablation of the posterior wall of the left atrium through a small incision under the breastbone. We couple that with thoracoscopic left atrial appendage ligation to eliminate the left atrial appendage uh, and uh, hopefully improve outcomes with respect to atrial fibrillation management and also to minimize the risk of stroke moving forward. Now, so that's the surgical component, sub-xiphoid. There's also a catheter ablation component. Tell me about that. Let's walk through what that involves. Sure. So the way we perform that, and Dr. Argami will expand on this, is to perform the surgical component whereby the posterior left atrial wall is ablated, and then following that, the left atrial appendage is excluded. Our practice is for then to schedule the patient to return for catheter ablation about two to three months later, whereby we complete the catheter ablation. And so that entails pulmonary vein isolation, so we perform circumferential ablation around the pulmonary veins to isolate them. And that is really the uh, gold standard ablation technique for atrial fibrillation. But because patients have undergone previous posterior wall ablation at the surgical portion, we do not need to ablate on the back wall of the left atrium. And then whatever other ablation is required uh, is performed at that same time. So we typically will couple that with a carbotricuspid isthmus ablation line to treat typical atrial flutter. And then we perform an aggressive stimulation protocol to see if there are any other triggers or arrhythmias that need to be targeted at that time. So what about the pros and cons then of hybrid ablation versus a standard catheter ablation or a PFE? pulse field electroporation, which is an emerging technology? So a, a, a fantastic question. So the, the reason to consider this procedure is uh, as follows. When we perform catheter ablation, when we ablate on the posterior wall of the left atrium, we current techniques use, utilize thermal energy. So whether it's cryoablation or most, frequent, uh, most frequently is radiofrequency th um, heat ablation. 
And when we ablate on the back wall of the left atrium, that may be in proximity to the esophagus. And uh, if we wanted to perform a posterior wall isolation, which may be needed for patients with persistent atrial fibrillation, we have really two main issues. One is the ability to achieve a transmural lesion and therefore isolate the posterior wall with durable isolation. Uh, and the other concern is that the esophagus is just on the other side of the back wall of the left atrium and therefore may be at risk for thermal injury. And one of the most feared complications of atrial fibrillation ablation is an atrioesophageal fistula. Now, some studies that have looked at the efficacy of doing a posterior wall ablation on outcomes of atrial fibrillation have not always demonstrated benefit, but part of the reason for that may be that we do not achieve a transmural lesion and do not achieve durable isolation. So with the convergent procedure, it's an epicardial-based ablation that is unidirectional. And so what that means is when we ablate from the back wall of the left atrial epicardial surface, we have insulation on one side of the catheter that is facing the esophagus, so it protects it. And then all of the ablation is directed into the left atrium uh, itself. And with that, you get a very robust ablation lesion set uh, that typically results in durable isolation of the posterior wall, essentially eliminating all myocardial uh, signals from that. Questions about competing technologies. And uh, the first one for you, Dr. Kalu, will be the role of PFE versus or vis-a-vis -vis the convergent procedure. And then after you've addressed that, Dr. Argami, there are obviously percutaneous ways to close the left atrial appendage. How do those compare to the surgical approach? So uh, Amar, you first. Okay, so yeah, I think a, a very important question and the PFA or pulse field ablation, otherwise known as electroporation, is really a very exciting emerging technology uh, in the field of cardiac electrophysiology with, with respect to ablation. It has a lot of promise. Uh, one of those promises really was that it is a non-thermal based uh, form of ablation. Non-thermal is a bit of a misnomer. There is some heat generated, but it is not of sufficient rise to really be of concern from a thermal injury perspective. And one of the other benefits is that it may be selective in terms of each tissue has a specific selectivity to the energy applied and is very rapid. One of the things that is starting to emerge and still needs to really be figured out is uh, how durable the, the ablation lesions are, because there is reversible electroporation and irreversible electroporation. And while there was a lot of enthusiasm, and there still is, a lot of the early uh, studies have demonstrated that there may be some recovery of the ablation lesions performed. So very promising, but it's not quite ready for prime time use for the purposes that we've discussed especially for long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation. Yeah, no, good point. And I think for all our listeners to be aware, um, electroporation, PFE or PFA, is only available in research studies in the United States. It is not approved yet. Exciting, but unknown in many ways. And then to Dr. Argami, um, obviously we've put devices in the left atrial appendage to close it for some time now, developed at Mayo Clinic, but tell us, how does that compare to surgical closure? Well, I think uh, I would look at uh, in, a, in a different in a different perspective. The device closures, the percutaneous device closures, are amazing. It helps a lot of patients. You guys are pioneers in that fact. It has its place. 
but I would argue that the the uh, the clip placement, the uh, the thoracoscopic approach that we perform during these convergent procedure. First of all, the patient needs to be a surgical candidate. Some of those percutaneous device closure patients are not a surgical candidate, so automatically included in this uh, comparison. But one of the benefits, as I mentioned earlier, is that when we exclude the appendage from outside due to compression around the base of the appendage and cutting the blood supply, the appendage will over time get basically ischemic and die. And the theory is that it will also be electrical silence. We have shown that by mapping it after clipping, and we've seen that the, the appendage will go electrosilent. So that will also play into the treatment of atrial fibrillation as well, not only just mechanically occluding the appendage from a uh, stroke standpoint. So that's a really good point. And in fact, as, as you know, it happens within seconds often. You clip it and the electrical activity goes away and that's one way you know you've done it. So um, I think that is really an interesting point when we're trying to control the rhythm. So the, the bottom line is those areas that we struggle with in the EP lab are treated by the surgeon in a more controlled environment, but really in a very minimally invasive sub approach for thoroughness of, and, and at the same time protecting vulnerable structures in juxtaposition to the ablation targets. So those, those are clear benefits. What are the limitations? So some of the limitations are that is obviously two procedures instead of one. Though some centers will stage these procedures or do them sequentially, as I mentioned, we like to stage them by several weeks apart. And really the main reason for that is to allow, one, recovery from the initial surgical procedure, and two, to be able to realize the true uh, lesion set that has occurred, um, which may be confounded by edema if we do the procedures too close to one another. But that's one of the main limitations is that it's a, a surgical procedure. Yes, minimally invasive, but it is still another procedure that the patients then have to come back for the completion portion of it. It is a bit more invasive than the standard catheter ablation procedure, but it comes at the potential of better outcomes, whereby patients with, for example, long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation, as you know, outcomes with medical therapy and catheter ablation are really suboptimal. But for this procedure, the convergent procedure, it actually is the only approved procedural modality for longstanding persistent atrial fibrillation. And so that's one of the reasons to consider it. Yeah, I mean, that really is the, the cohort where we just can't touch it with catheters. We just don't do well. And so that, that, that clearly is a group. Now, We've developed quite the team. And when I say we, of course, you, Dr. Agami, Dr. Kalu, in doing this. Um, so tell us, tell me a little bit about you know how we developed the team, what we've done at Mayo, how we approach it, some of the the benefits of the strategy we've adopted here. We've created this uh, this uh, this great group that uh, Dr. Kalu and myself basically review these patients uh, for candidacy. Uh, everyone refers. The patients that have difficulty treating the atrial fibrillation or these long-standing, as, as mentioned earlier, and we both reviewed it together. Uh, you know, I look at it from a surgical standpoint. Uh, Dr. Clue looks at it from an EP standpoint. Uh, uh, the benefits, and that allows us to completely assess the patient in one setting and decide the best course of action. Obviously, not every patient will be a, a good candidate for convergent, and then maybe a traditional catheter-based approach or an open heart surgery will be beneficial for, for the patient. So having both of us review these patients are beneficial. 
The other parts that are unique to our practice is that we also perform, as uh, Dr. Clue mentioned, perform uh, left atrial appendage ligation routinely for these patients. Uh, so that's kind of part of our practice. Uh, and that uh, not only improves uh, uh, risk of stroke uh, for these patients based on many studies that have been published already, but also we think that it also affects the treatment of AFib by electrically isolating the appendage because of the technique we use. And the third thing I would say that is unique to us is we perform routinely mapping of the left atrium during the convergent procedure before and after the ablation that uh, gives us uh, a great information of the areas that need to be ablated. Some of these patients come in with prior ablation, so you get a good sense of what has been ablated and whatnot. And then when you're done uh, with your ablation, uh, mapping that will give us uh, enough information to know if you've missed an area or not, and we can quickly go back and ablate it instead of waiting a few weeks until the, the catheter-based portion to find out, oh, by the way, we missed an area. Uh, so really interesting approach. Who's a good candidate? Who would you say, yes, this is someone who we can help, and who would you say maybe maybe not a good candidate? Patients with persistent AFib, long-standing persistent AFib, large atrium, who have prior catheter ablation failures, uh, these are relatively good candidates. From a surgical standpoint, the contraindications will be patients who had prior sternotomy or heart surgeries uh, done, cardio, uh, pericardiotomies, or lung surgeries if you're planning on doing the clip, which we usually uh, routinely do if the patient had prior left thoracotomy, that will be a contraindication. Other uh, contraindications are relative, like body size and, and other comorbidities can play into it, but those are more relative contraindications. Amar, did you have any additional comments on indications or, or cohorts? Yeah, no, I, I think Dr. Aragami really um, covered the main points. I, I would say from an electrophysiologic standpoint, the way I approach these is if, if the patient characteristics or anatomical considerations make me think that this is going to be a very difficult catheter ablation and maybe with suboptimal results, need for numerous procedures, then I may consider this hybrid approach. Uh, if someone has a contraindication to long-term anticoagulation potentially, but has a clear reason for rhythm control, then this may be a nice option because we can combine the ablation aspect with uh, left atrial appendage ligation, thereby hopefully minimizing their risk of uh, stroke moving forward without long-term anticoagulation. Of course, once they, they pass the uh, post-ablation anticoagulation timeframe. Patients who've had numerous procedures before are a select population. You know, uh, I think we're, we're reviewing them very carefully. Yes, posterior wall ablation can be performed. Yes, left atrial appendage isolation can be achieved with the procedures. But we also have to think about the potential detriment that may be caused by excessive ablation. And so we, we take a very holistic approach to these patients. Sometimes we'll actually perform an invasive hemodynamic study to make sure that we're not dealing with a non-compliant left atrium, which will only get worse after um, clipping of the left atrial appendage and further ablation that may be performed. So for the physicians who have these complex AFib patients, failed previous ablations, they're thinking, I'm interested in, in sending the patient for this procedure. Any pre or post procedure management issues that, that people should be aware of? So specifically, continue anticoagulation going into the procedure, continue it until the ablation, if so, for the second 
part of the procedure for how long, uh, what complications might you look for and where do you reassure patients? General sort of comments like that, I think people will find helpful. So anticoagulation is uh, kind of like any other procedure. We'll stop it uh, or bridge, uh, depending on the, uh, the risk score of the patient prior to the procedure, like any other uh, surgical procedure. And then we usually continue the anticoagulation after surgery, for sure, until the second portion uh, of the hybrid uh, approach. And then we can decide further on, depending on the patient rhythm and risk. Uh, in terms of antiarrhythmic treatments, I'll have Dr. Clue comment on that. Yeah, thank you, Armand. So um, every uh, patient uh, is uh, honestly treated on an individual basis. Uh, as, as you heard with anticoagulation, typically it is interrupted just before the surgical portion, but we try and start that immediately following the surgical portion, and then that's continued all the way through until the catheter ablation portion, and then a minimum of uh, three months after. While patients may be able to stop anticoagulation long-term, there's been recent data that suggests continued anticoagulation in the setting of a left atrial appendage clip, uh, outcomes may be better uh, versus stopping it, but, but that's a bit of an unknown. In terms of antiarrhythmic therapy, we typically will try and keep patients on antiarrhythmic drugs for the um, uh, recovery phase of the procedure, just because from the surgical aspect, there's um, post-procedural pericarditis is not uncommon, and that can obviously be a trigger for atrial arrhythmias. So we aggressively treat that with uh, anti-inflammatory medications, uh, such as uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, colchicine. Uh, we do instill steroids into the pericardial space after the convergent procedure to minimize the risk of pericarditis. So we continue antiarrhythmic drugs up until the catheter ablation procedure, and then we will uh, adopt a tailored approach, whether it's interrupted uh, or stopped, excuse me, after the catheter ablation procedure versus keeping it on for at least another three to six months, just to minimize the risk of recurrence from all that's been done and then reassess at that time frame. You know, I've always felt that when surgeons and cardiologists put their heads together, just phenomenal things happen and new um, vistas appear and open. So I really want to congratulate the two of you for starting, launching, and growing this program to offer options for people who previously we really had no good therapeutic options for. So thank you for your time. Thank you for reviewing that with, with me and our listeners and um, really appreciate your insights. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.